0: Va a llegar el gol del Arsenal of Phil. Marca
1: Mesuto Phil. Bellerin, otro defensor, otro disparo. Monreal gol. Marca el futbolista español. Marca Necio Monreal. Pim pam pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always with James. Hello. I did it.
0: You did it, it through me,
1: to be honest with you. Yeah. People might not understand this reference, but we did a podcast last week on the Patreon site and someone said, why do you always introduce James from Gunnerblog when Gunner Blog hasn't had a new post for a year and a half? So I said, yeah, I'll just introduce James on Monday and see how it goes. I'm pre- people are probably very confused now already. Yeah, I mean, let us know what you thought of it. I found it unsettling. It was. It was a bit unsettling for me. It felt like there was something missing from our, our interaction. But anyway, James, goodly Ooh. morning to you. Goodly morning. Our first goodly yes. morning of the season. We won a game. Hurrah.
0: I know. We won a game. Uh, it is a goodly morning. And it's nice to have one. Unai Emery's first. I hope he's enjoying it.
1: I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it's a win. Three points, and that's uh, that's exactly what we needed from... From the West Ham game. Uh, just an observation from the weekend before we crack on with the football. Last night I watched uh, Avengers Infinity War. Have you seen right. that? I actually haven't yet, no. Right, I mean, it's quite good fun, a bit too long, but quite good fun, all things considered. But I was watching it and I was disconcerted by Thanos, who's the big baddie in it, right? Right. You no. Know, do you know why? It occurred to me about an hour, uh, an hour into the film... Um, I don't know. He reminded you of somebody. Yes, gonna... yeah. yes. There's a football connection here. It was like the big baddie in this massive Hollywood blockbuster was a sort of animated Sean Dice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen
0: enough of the film in trailers to understand exactly where you're coming from. Yeah. Does he speak like Sean?
1: Dyche no, he doesn't. Well? He doesn't go like, "Give us the Infinity Stone. I'm here it- to kill you all."
0: He doesn't do that. <laughs> that would be a real shame for the film, I think, if he did have that accent. But somebody should,
1: I, somebody out there who's good at video stuff could could overdub uh, some of uh, Thanos with, with Sean Daisie's voice. It would be pretty amazing.
0: <laughs> I've just googled Thanos again, and there is a, a very definite resemblance there. Sean Dash would have been upset yesterday after losing to Fulham. Maybe you mm. know, that he would have wreaked his revenge on the world in similar
1: fashion. He might well have done. Thankfully, uh, there was an awful lot more destruction in the movie than there was in real life. But uh, anyway, look, I'm sure that's something people can take uh, take with them when they go to watch that movie. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not ruining it for anyone. I'm sure that you know no. the, the sinister baddie is basically the Burnley manager. But there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and he must
0: be stopped. <laughs> he
1: must be and stopped any, at all costs. By
0: any means necessary. Even by um, Benedict
1: Cumberbatch.
0: <laughs> um, the football, remember the football? Yeah, I do. Is it a bit of a weird thing that we won a game and yet there's almost more concern after winning the game than there was after the ones that we lost?
1: Um, Possibly. I do see your point here because we took away positives as much as we could from the Chelsea and Manchester City games where we accepted that this is a new era, new things are happening, and they're two very good teams against whom you're likely to concede a good number of chances. We actually conceded fewer chances to West Ham than we did against Chelsea or Manchester City. I was mm. looking at this this morning. There were 17 shots in the Manchester City game against us, 24 shots against us in the, in the Chelsea game, but 13, uh, only 13, for West Ham compared to our 17. It's the first game in which we've had more shots than the opposition but certainly West Ham had good chances I think it's fair to say that the quality of their chances um, was the bigger issue rather than the quantity
0: yeah I mean I don't I actually don't know the XG figures but maybe that would reflect it because it felt like it was the chance it was the quality of the chances that was the big issue I mean they should have scored by all rights a few goals yesterday. If yeah. they were a bit better than West Ham.
1: Yes, that is that is uh, if if who was better than West Ham? If West Ham were better than themselves? Yes, if West Ham weren't so West Hammy,
0: we would have been in big trouble.
1: Right, the xG as it turned out was Arsenal 1.92 West Ham 1.39. So I think we we certainly created chances ourselves. Fabianski was definitely the busier of the goalkeepers. But West Ham a little bit wasteful, I think. If you look at the, if you look at the chance Arnautovic hit into the, into the side netting. I think if he looked up and just played a square ball across goal, Antonio had a, a tap in at the back post. Mm-hmm. Snodgrass missed uh, an amazing chance just before yeah. half time, which I think is you know can go down as a Petarček save. He got down well, but I think in those circumstances, if your player is in there and he's the striker, you would feel much more that it's a miss than a a save by the keeper certainly I agree with you there. I mean I was convinced he was going to score in that instance mm. there was a, an opportunity I think again for Antonio might have been in the first half when Mustafi got drawn into or drawn out of position he, he went to press the ball on the halfway line leaving space for Antonio to run in behind Bellerin and uh, he took his shot very early and it was a relatively easy save but there were real chances for the Hammers in this game and the, the the fact that they found it so easy to get in behind our back four was a real worry particularly in the first half yeah I mean even
0: in the second as well I remember that chance it was Lucas Perez wasn't it who gets yeah. up the ball on the left hand side of the box and kind of didn't seem to make his mind up really between a cross and a shot uh, thankfully because it just skewed wide of the post but they they made chances with ease against us and I mean I suppose the theme of our start to the season has been the poor defending hasn't it I mean that's been the you know one of the more, con- more consistent traits of the team this year
1: Yeah um, but but what I liked well I I don't really like anything about poor defending but what I liked was the the admission afterwards from Emery from Aaron Ramsey from Nacho Monreal from Socrates I don't know if you've seen the quotes from Socrates that are doing the rounds this morning uh, you know, he says we're very offensive. We have to pay attention when we don't have the ball. Uh, you know, we were better in the second half, but we still need work. There's some other Socrates quotes which I'll, I'll touch on in a, a little bit as well. But just at least as that, you know, it's not a case that mm. the players are looking at the the result and going, "Yeah, we got the win." You know, wasn't you know uh, there is a, a, an understanding that we do need to improve from a defensive point of view. And it's hard not to look beyond the fact that it's to do with the style that Emery wants the team to play. He wants them to press high up the pitch, which means players um, not moving out of position. But there's got to be an organization to that, a discipline to the way that you press. And if you don't win the ball, you've got to get back quickly and you've got to get back into position quickly. Otherwise, you do get left exposed. I think what what's an issue for me is uh, we've got fullbacks that are pushing on. Uh, to good effect, I think it's fair to say. Monreal got a goal. Hector Bellerin ended up with two assists. Yeah, you know. So the the fullbacks are contributing from an attacking point of view. But what we've also got are two front-footed central defenders who want to win the ball high up the pitch, who aren't necessarily working in tandem just yet because they haven't built any kind of relationship, and who aren't maybe getting the kind of protection that they need from our midfield was was that something that you observed uh, in mm. terms of in terms of how we are defending and how we're leaving the defense open I think so I
0: think the main thing you'd say about the way we're defending is that it's not really coordinated yet so mm. like we're playing with this high defensive line and presumably that's partly why Socrates was the guy we went out and got in the summer because we knew we wanted to play with this high line and he's accustomed to that relatively from playing at Dortmund. But it is ragged at the moment. I mean, there's no, there's no sense of a real partnership yet developing, I don't think, between Mustafi and Socrates. The fullbacks seem to be doing their own thing. And, and you know, when Mark Arnautovic is breaking your offside trap like he's Thierry Henry. Mm. You know, something is, is wrong. I mean, he's not even a particularly quick striker and he was getting in behind time after time. But my understanding is that the point of the high line is that it works in conjunction with the press, you know, that effectively the whole team are playing higher up the field, but because that press is not yet properly coordinated, the whole thing is just sort of falling apart and the back four are looking exposed and out of position. So I, I I hope that it's some sort of a work in progress that will come together in time. I guess a lot of that depends on the capacity of these players to to take on these ideas and to begin operating as a as a unit rather than as individuals.
1: In terms of how we set up, though, the, the, the second half, I thought we were a bit better in terms of how we protected the back four. And I think that was true when Lucas Torreira came on. He just mm-hmm. kind of naturally has that... Instinct to sit and to cover space when when players go forward, when defenders go forward, uh, you know he's there. He replaced Ginduzi, which was that telling to you that he was the guy who made way? Maybe I mean I was. A I mean it bit was one one. He
0: didn't start in the in the first instance. Terraro, you Terraro, know what I, mean? yeah. I thought he would start. Uh, I thought Shaka's place was in real doubt after what had happened at Stamford Bridge and being yeah. taken off at half time. And I thought Ganduzi and Torreira might be the partnership in this game. Uh, I I could see why he made that change. I mean, it was interesting as well. I thought Shaka looked markedly better once Torreira came onto the pitch. Yeah, Um, You know, in the first half, he hadn't been great. And then suddenly with Torreira next to him, he really began to take control of the game. At least that's how it looked to me.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. We should talk about the goal, I, I guess, that we conceded... Yeah, We lost the ball high up the pitch and there really didn't seem to be an awful lot that the Arsenal players did to try and prevent it. It seemed really easy, didn't it? I mean, I've watched it. Felt it. that way for much of the
0: afternoon. I mean, particularly for Felipe Anderson, uh, their new shiny new Brazilian midfielder, it felt like there were several instances where he kind of just ran about 40 yards through yeah. our team, almost unchallenged. And, and this was one of them.
1: Yeah, so... Um, there was something from Socrates as well where he talked. Uh, you know, he picked up a yellow card uh, mm. late in the game. He made a foul. He picked the ball up. He ran away with it. It prevented a. Prevented a West Ham break, and he said, "We're experienced players. Sometimes we have to be a bit more clever. When we don't have the ball, in some situations, we have. When we have to make fouls, we make fouls and take a card. Then we do not take the counter attack. I mean, the counter attack is not inflicted upon us. So there's a cynicism there, and I li- I like that. It's something I've been uh, talking about for for a while that the Arsenal players." Just don't have that instinct to spoil, and we don't like it when it's done to us. But it's fucking effective when it when yeah. it happens. Um, and I watch ha- a Pep Guardiola team. I mean, they do it constantly. They yeah. foul really high up the pitch. Pochettino's uh, team, Spurs, are they get away yeah. with an awful lot. I don't think we get away with as much as some teams do. But it doesn't mean we sh- we shouldn't do it. Was there an element of that to that second goal or that first? goal for you that perhaps you could have done a bit more. It just seemed, it just seemed when we lost the ball and when the ball came out to the left-hand side and the guy took off with it, I was, I really did fear the worst because we never got near him. We never got near him and the centre-halves, you know, Mustafi got nutmegged, it went through the legs of Socrates, so maybe an element of good luck, but I'm just not sure the defenders did quite enough in that situation to prevent the shot.
0: Yeah, you make a good point there. I think Socrates is right. You know, we're a team that could do with being a bit more cynical. My only concern, as as, as I mentioned before, was that I just felt like physically we didn't get close enough. We didn't quite have the intensity to live with some of West Ham's running. And that is not something I anticipated going into this game. Um, So, I mean, there's a a little bit of course worry there, but yeah, I, I... I think that any sort of thing we could do to bring the ball under our control earlier, or if that includes making a foul, Mm. obviously would be better than them scoring
1: a goal. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, But not a surprise the way the game was going that we ended up behind. And that was that was a bit of a worry as well. Yeah, and I mean,
0: I wasn't at the ground yesterday, I was watching through stream, but you could tell that in the atmosphere as well, there was a sort of, uh, I think people maybe had turned up thinking, well, it's West Ham, you know, this is the game where we roll them over and the Emery era gets underway, and we sort of play with a real swagger, and that isn't what unfolded at all, and you could see a bit of tension, I think, in the stands and also among the players, because it wasn't going all our way, and this is a West Ham team that hadn't picked
1: up a point heading into the match, and
0: they were certainly given as good as they got.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, look you can't take anything for granted. It's West Ham at home. They've beaten us at home a number of times in the last couple of years. So, uh, you know, I'm can, I can, i not saying it's easy or should have been easy for us to, to win the game. No game in the Premier League is easy, etc., etc. But I think there was perhaps an expectation that after the, the opening two games, we might just be a little bit more defensively solid than we were against two better teams than West Ham, it's fair to say. But the defensive mm. issues, the fact that the defensive issues were there against West Ham, that was the concern for me. Um, and we, we did address it in fairness. He made a halftime change and he made a change 10 minutes into the, the second half, more or less. But I suppose the the positive part of, of what we did uh, was the way we created chances we responded very quickly to the goal. Uh, Monreal equalised pretty quickly afterwards. Hector Bellerin getting down the right hand side, putting in a low cross. Fabianski got a touch. Somebody told me Iwobi got the assist for this goal. I think it does come off him. Yeah, at but, some it skid- point, but it I mean, skids off his arse. I know. I'm going to go through and just see um, the actual stat here and see who got the who got the assist. Did he actually get the the assist here?
0: I mean, it definitely is deserved for Bellerin, who did really well. And one thing I noticed in this game, uh, it's just something we've seen developing over the past couple of weeks, maybe, is a little bit of a partnership between Bellerin <laughs> and and certainly going forward. No. I mean, it's Mkhitaryan. Sorry, no, Alan, I'm, wh- just saying, I'm just saying, no, Iwobi didn't get the assist. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he very nearly gets himself a goal. I mean, it just skids in between, doesn't it, him and uh, Aubameyang. I think it comes off Iwobi's back or something like off that. Off his arse.
1: It skids off his yeah. arse.
0: Right, <laughs> And and then Monreal, I mean, maybe he intended it. Maybe we're not giving enough credit. <laughs> uh, and then Monreal, I mean, it's a gift for him and it continues his goal-scoring form from last season. But as I say, Mkhitaryan and Bellerin, there was there's a bit of an understanding developing there, particularly in the final third. Nice little pass down the line from Mkhitaryan. Bellerin gets onto it. And it was the same uh, in the build-up to the third goal as well. So I think that's encouraging. Bellerin feels like a player who who hasn't really had much consistency in terms of who's been playing in front of him. Um, I suppose the one concern about it being Mkhitaryan is maybe that he doesn't offer a huge amount defensively.
1: Yeah, true. But that it, it's telling that so much of what we're doing is coming down the right-hand side, mm. involving Bellerin, involving Mkhitaryan, involving that overlap. I mean, uh, if you watch the chances we create against Chelsea, if you watch the chances we create against West Ham... They do seem to be developing something because they're, they're looking at each other. They were caught offside a couple of times, but that sort of moment where they interchange passes and then one zips in behind and they look for the ball, for the cut back into the, into the penalty box, it is, it is where we're creating danger. And I know people have issues with Bellerin defensively, but basically he got two assists yesterday or yesterday on Saturday. You know, we don't win the game without those assists. Simple as that. Yeah. And I'm not sure you know we do, we can't really say but i'm not necessarily sure that Lichtsteiner is the guy who's going to he might make us more defensively solid and he might make the defensive shape a bit more compact but i'm not sure that he would give us what bellerin gives us offensively so it's it's a balancing act there isn't it
0: it is yeah and i think it, it is a hell of a weapon that we seem to be developing on that right-hand side and you know i mean i i don't want to be one of those people who read too much into Clips of training and things like that. But there was a video on the Arsenal YouTube channel. Uh, I think it was called like finishing practice or something like that. And they were playing a small sided game. And then it was sort of an odd little game they were playing where one player was stood kind of off the pitch behind the goal off to the side. Uh, And the basis of the game was that you had to get the ball to that player and they would then knock it back across the box for a finish. And it seems that there is a clear emphasis on these kind of cutback opportunities. You know, the kind of goals we've seen Man City scoring for a couple of years now. And, uh, you know, I I actually don't know enough about the the XG and the maths of it, but it's clearly there's an emphasis on that type of chance. And Bellerin is our best opportunity at getting those chances because he's got the speed. And what he seems to be developing now that he hasn't had for a long time, actually, Mm. is that composure in the final third. How many times have you seen Bellerin sky across or whip it across to nobody? He seems to be waiting and he seems to be picking
1: people out more successfully now, even via Iwobi's arse. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think people need to... I think people need to lay off him a little bit in terms of the criticism of his the defensive part of his game because the defensive part of uh, the team it's the team uh, that has a problem defensively. I think you yeah. know I, I'm not saying that Hector Bellerin can't improve as a defender. Of course he can, but we spoke about him a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week. Um, you know, if he's being told to play in a certain way and if he's contributing up the attacking end of the pitch um then we can't really complain too much about the space that's being left behind if it's not being covered by other players who are who are tasked to do that his individual defensive duties his one-on-ones you know i think he can be a little bit more decisive in those uh, i think that's an area in which he can improve but he certainly really uh, is giving us something going forward um just, just be- quickly on Bellingham yeah. i i You know, we mentioned there was an interview. I mean, it's obvious I've been
0: trawling through the Arsenal YouTube Mm. watching the back catalogue, but there was a a chat between him and Lichsteiner. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, And one of the questions that Bellerin asked Lichsteiner was, you know, was there ever a time in your career where... Uh, where you were worried you weren't going to become the player you thought you were going to be mm. and I just felt like wow that's a hell of a question for Hector Bellerin to be posing because over, every, with everything that's happened in the past couple of years uh, I, I wonder if that's a question that's been in his head you know if yeah. he's thought has from, gone from someone being targeted by Manchester City Barcelona to you know am I going to be the right back I thought I was going to be am I going to play mm. and succeed at the level I hoped and it's a it's a testing time for him but I think that I do think he deserves a bit of a break because he is doing so well going forward. And like you, I think the problem is one of coordination in the team. I think that, and, it, and we have to hope that Emery of all coaches can drill this out of the side. Uh, that's what we've hired. You know? yeah. So I think we, we, we it's natural to look for positives, but I think there are, in the case of Bellerin, there are plenty of them. For
1: sure. I think so as well. Um, just before halftime, we mentioned the chance that West Ham missed. Mm-hmm. They also had a big chance not long into the second half when Arnautovic was free in the middle and uh, mis-kicked and injured himself in the process, which is... Yes, uh, that was enjoyable, wasn't that it? That was tremendous. Tremendous. I mean, I you know, <laughs> don't want to wish the guy too long on the sidelines, but you know, it couldn't happen to a nicer bloke kind of thing. Um, so we, we, we sort of let off the hook a little bit there because if you go in 2-1 down... Uh, it really just it really does change the, the 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 complexion of the game. If you concede that chance to Arnautovic, you know, can you be said to have addressed the defensive issues that were present in in the first half? So, mm. did you uh, did you have any thoughts on the the substitution, the halftime change? Again, we're seeing a manager change something at halftime, which wasn't always the case. I mean, how do you view these substitutions? Is it a case that he says, okay? I've looked at the game, and I think in order to to make us better in this second half, we need to change something. We'll bring on Lacazette. We'll put Aubameyang wide. Uh, Lacazette will give us something you know that Iwobi didn't, and I think that's true. It's fair to say. Hmm. It, it, do you get the sense that this is a manager kind of working it out as he goes along in a way? Is it is it like a tacit admission that the team selection perhaps wasn't right in the first half if you make a change that early I think so
0: I mean I think as Arsenal fans we're always going to kind of uh, it's, it's so different to what we're used to that inevitably we're sort of going to celebrate it you know the mm. ruthlessness of a manager the being prepared to make a change early but I think in this instance when it keeps happening I think you have to wonder about it. And it does feel a bit like a manager who doesn't necessarily know his best 11 for any given game. Is, is that that's, fair? That's, yeah, I think that is fair enough, isn't it? Yeah, um, three games in. I think if it's January and we're still having to make a change at half-time in every game, I think we can we can be a little bit concerned about that at that stage. But yeah. I think at this at this stage, it's... Sort of inevitable, and what I do like about it is that he is at least prepared to, if he has got it wrong, almost admit as much uh, and do something to change the game. And I thought bringing Lacazette on, not only did it give us a focal point going forward, but it just it almost kind of shifted the emphasis of the team away from the defence and made us gave West Ham more to worry about defensively. Yeah, uh, and and that was necessary, really, really considering how poorly we were defending at that time.
1: I think he had a positive impact, Lacazette.
0: Yeah, he, as he did against City. I yeah. mean, Chelsea was a bit of a disastrous cameo for him because he came on, gave the ball away, didn't defend particularly well. But I think in the other two games, he's been he's been really good since coming on.
1: Is he pushing for a start? I think so, definitely.
0: I, I mean, it's tricky, isn't it, with Aubameyang because he's such a brilliant finisher usually, uh, and he's so dangerous in behind, and you can see why with that kind of world class player, you'd think right, let's mm. play him through the middle, but. He
1: hasn't really delivered too much, has he, in the first three games? No, it's funny, um, Emery spoke about a lack of confidence that he was suffering from a lack of confidence. You could see that even. Ramsey set him up with a brilliant chance, fantastic work from Ramsey to get to the byline and squeeze past the defender and pull the ball back. Uh, Perhaps uh, ties into that game that you're speaking about because it's it's almost that kind of position that the ball came to uh, Aubameyang from. The finish, I mean, he was a little bit unlucky. It hit a defender on the way through, but in that position, a player of that quality, you normally would expect them to score.
0: I just have a feeling you know you see all these noises off the pitch from Lacazette and Aubameyang and it's all very lovey-dovey and very positive but I I do think there might be some more substance to it than that I just feel like when they are together we we generally look more dangerous I Mm. just think with that much attacking talent on the pitch we offer more and they seem to combine quite well off each other I mean they almost did for the for the goal that put us in front obviously it went down as an own goal but Lacazette as soon as he got on the pitch him and Aubameyang were looking for each other and he does some things that Aubameyang doesn't do. You know, he's prepared to go into contact. He's prepared to hold the ball up in a way that you don't really see from Aubameyang. So I kind of feel like they they dovetail quite effectively and I, it is tempting to to deploy them like this more frequently.
1: Mm. Um, Torreira came on for Gendouzi. I think we tightened up from that point. I was watching the game and it was scrappy, and West Ham had plenty of the ball, and I felt like, particularly for a home game, we didn't control the game as well as you might expect. Um, In terms of possession, in terms of territory, I thought we lacked the kind of composure at home that we normally see. Perhaps that was due to West Ham being a bit more up for it. Uh, I I don't quite know, but... uh, I'm interested to see how that progresses over the next number of home games because however things were under Arsene Wenger, normally at home when we played a team like West Ham, we dominated possession, we dominated territory, we'd push them back into their half. Of course, we were susceptible on the counter, um, which was a feature of our defending for years, but I I felt a bit like we, we couldn't get on top of the game. An element of good fortune to the second goal, Lacazette involved, as he had been, you know, he, he created some moments of danger. I think he forced Fabianski into a, a good save or two, mm. but then he hooked the ball back. I thought it was Aubameyang, but it came off the defender.
0: Yeah, I think there was definitely fortune involved. I mean, it was Diop, wasn't it? It sort of cannoned in off him. Uh, But good hold-up play from Lacazette. A couple of decent headers won as well. I think it was Montréal and then Ramsey um, to kind of set up the chance. But, Mm. you know, you've got to take your luck where you can get it. I agree, it wasn't a game we ever felt particularly in control of. And at 2-1, you know, 3-1 was the the final score, but that goal came in stoppage time. And there were chances for West Ham to get back into this game. I mean, I mentioned that Perez one, but it was... Nervy, and it didn't feel like we we necessarily knew how to close it out, uh, and we had to keep going forward ultimately in order to to seal the victory.
1: Yeah, I mean the Perez chance. I don't know what he was thinking there. I was really expecting him to have a go. Uh, I think he yeah. was trying to find the guy at the back post, uh, which is perhaps illustrative of why he's at West Ham now and why it didn't work out for him at Arsenal because that you know in that position at two one. If you're a striker and the ball comes to you in the box, surely your first thought is to have a go. And I remember just as the game was going into injury time, there was a moment where they, I think across from their left-hand side, just went straight across our six-yard box. Mm. Um, and there was an element of, not panic to our defending, but you know, we got rid of the ball. We just fucking you know, whacked it upfield, uh, tried to regroup. We saw Socrates take that yellow card, Fine, absolutely uh, okay with that kind of uh, defending late in the game. You know, you, you try and halt their momentum in any way you possibly can. Um, I, I think you've got to do that. And then we get the goal again. Hector Bellerin involved, his cross to Danny Welbeck. Defending not great allowing uh, Wellbeck to turn and finish with his left foot, but it, it did just make the final two minutes or whatever it was a little bit more calm uh, than w- we were experiencing before that because it was, as you say, a bit a bit panicky.
0: Yeah, but like you, I'm encouraged by the fact that we didn't see the players come out after the game and say, you know, there you go, job done, we've proven we can do it. There was a a, a realism, wasn't there, about everything you heard from the coach, from the squad you know I think they I think more than at any point in the last decade really there is a sense that the players um, and the fans are almost in the same place they're on the same wavelength there's a sense that we're at the start of a process and I think that you know points help but the performances aren't there yet and everybody is aware of that but it is the very 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 start of something this is the first building block mm. of the Emory era really yeah um and and you have to hope that with results comes confidence and that will improve everything you know and and as as people see tangible reward for the work they've been putting in maybe that bit more buy-in means the work on the training ground comes to fruition a bit more on the field
1: yeah for sure Aaron Ramsey spoke after the game and he he uh what did he say here i'm just trying to Load up the Arsenal website. Come on, you fucker. I'm sure it was thrilling as ever, if it was Aaron Rams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was ever ever so thrilling. Uh, he said, uh, basically, it was about the way they're being asked to play. Um, what's improving? He says he, Unai Emery, wants us to press and press really high up the pitch. So that's the biggest thing. And then we're obviously trying to figure it out going forward as well. Um, So that's clearly an issue for the players to come to terms with this style of play. And, you know, training ground will help. But playing games is going to be is going to be the way we we master this or don't master it or have to to reassess it a little bit, perhaps. Um, So, look, you know, it's three games. We've got our first win. We've got three points on the board. We'll know a little bit more after Cardiff on Sunday, won't we? As to as to what's going on and how it's going on.
0: I think so. I mean, especially given that that's uh, away from home, and that was such a problem for us last season. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how we fare in that respect. But Cardiff, I mean, Cardiff, I don't think have scored a goal, have they, in the Premier League so far? So. Um, Yes, they haven't. They've got two nil-nil draws and a two nil defeat. So that is a game, I mean, that we should be looking to
1: to dominate and and win. Right. Okay. here is the £350,000 a week elephant in the room. Ah, Uh, yes. Mesut Ozil, not in the squad due to illness. There were reports from an ESPN correspondent who said that There was a bust-up in training. He -hmm. went on to say that the bust-up involved Ozil being told he was on the bench and refusing to sit on the bench. Uh, Afterwards, Unai Emery absolutely denied that this was the case. He said that he was sick. Um, He said you can ask the doctors. (laughs) It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because what else is he going to say, really? Of Uh, course, but do we take him at face value here? It's it's a tricky situation. What There's something going on. Whatever we can say about the ins and outs of this particular situation, there is definitely something going on with Mesut Ozil that I, I don't think he's in particularly a good place right now in his career and perhaps his um i'm not going to speculate about his, his mental health or anything like that but he's not in a good place in his career he's had a very difficult summer he he uh, retired from the german national team citing racism many of his teammates came out and said that there was no racism within the national team or the football federation uh which must be hurtful you know to to, to hear that from people you thought were your your colleagues um it's a it's a difficult time for him, but at the same time, this isn't the first time he's been ill. Uh, he, he either has a, a real predisposition to picking up colds uh, at unfortunate times or there's something else going on. I mean, uh, you can understand why people are a bit
0: cynical. You can definitely understand why people are cynical. I mean, if he does have that predisposition, he is the most illness prone. Footballer that we have ever seen in the premier league i 've mm. never known an Arsenal player to miss as many games through illness now i 'm not saying that 's impossible, but I am saying that maybe it 's unlikely that uh, that in every instance he has been that ill that he mm. simply could not play um, i it 's tempting isn 't it to read into the events of the summer and everything that happened with the German national team and think that, you know, that might have some some influence on this. But this was going on before that, in terms of him missing games. You yeah, know, this has started, well, it started quite a while ago, but it's been particularly prominent, I think, in this calendar year. Um, so it is really tricky. And you, it, there's no way you can look at it from the outside and not think something's not right mm. here, something's up. Especially when a player, I mean, it's not helped by the fact that he is on this... Exorbitant salary, and I know, of course, you know that's not his fault. But uh, you know, when a club are paying a player that much, you want to get the the best from them, and you want the maximum output from them. And it's very, very difficult to suggest that we're getting that at the moment from Meza Ozil But all this is balanced by the fact that he is going through presumably quite a difficult time in his career. You don't want to be another person rounding on Meza Urzel. Um, So as an Arsenal fan, it's actually quite a delicate one, isn't it? It's quite difficult to know. Yeah. I find it quite difficult to know where to come down on this because do I think we should be getting more from him, from someone who's our highest paid player in our history? Yes, I absolutely do. Do I think that he is subject to criticism that is at times unfair and too intense? Yes, I absolutely do. So I don't quite know how to call it. And without all the facts in front of us, Mm. It's very
1: tricky, isn't it that is um that is the thing it's we don't know uh exactly what's gone on. It wouldn't be uh what's the word I'm looking for it It wouldn't be a surprise to me if there were a bit of an issue behind the scenes um maybe he was just ill, maybe he's just got a bad cold and, and I hope that's the case. But, uh, you know, with Ozil, every little thing becomes a big thing, or it certainly seems to be that way at the moment, doesn't it? Because if you think back to January, when we signed him or re-signed him, everyone was pretty happy. You mm-hmm. know, I think people said, OK, we've, we've allowed ourselves to be uh, held over a barrel here because Sanchez was leaving. And the idea of both Sanchez and Ozil leaving would have been really bad for the club, I think, in terms of how we were perceived or the ambition of the club or our ability to hang on to our, our best players and our biggest talents, right? So in general, I think people were happy that we were able to to hold on to Ozil, but the wage packet that he was able to extract, given the circumstances, was certainly higher than it might have been if we'd agreed to deal with him a year ago you know that way it's sort of reminiscent of when Theo Walcott became our highest paid player Theo Walcott was in a similar situation he did almost exactly the same thing as Mesut Ozil he signed a new deal sometime in January when he could have left that summer on a free transfer but given that Fabregas had left Van Persie had left Nasri had left uh, Arsenal gave him the biggest pay packet at the club in order to keep him because there's that perception that if you let all your big players go, you're not attractive anymore as a club to players that you might want to bring in, right? And I think what we have to look at as a bottom line here is that Mesut Ozil is a very, very talented footballer. And I agree with you that we are not getting anywhere near value for money based on what we uh, have given him as a salary from, from January. We haven't. But maybe the bottom line we need to look at is his ability as a footballer, his ability as a creator, somebody who can make goals and figure out a way to to use that um, rather than every little thing becoming a, a big stick with which to beat him. I mean, I, I completely understand the frustration. And if it's a case that he refused to go on the bench, then there's no way to defend that. Absolutely not. It's indefensible no. for a footballer to do that. You accept the decisions of the manager, whether you're a £350,000-a-week a player or a £350-a-week a player. It's the manager's decision. You work as hard for the team if you're earning the tiny amount or the big amount. You know, I know there's star quality and all that kind of stuff, but it feels like there's definitely, there's something going on. There's something going on. Very early on in uh, in Emery's time at the club, what did he say? Uh, he said... Uh, all of us want uh, to help Messet feel like it's his home here with us. This is when we are on tour in Singapore, like a family, and it's a family for, for every player. You know, um, we we're going to help him feel good and to show his quality. Before the West Ham game, he said, we're here to help him. We are his family and it is his home. So, you know, I know his English is a bit limited and maybe he can't express what he wants to express in in maybe more subtle ways, but twice he said we're here to help him. Yeah. Twice he said this is his family. Those are God, That's an emotive way of putting it. You know. So, I it, it strikes me that there's something going on that we're not aware of, and maybe we need to just consider that uh, when we look at the Mesodosil situation. Yeah. I think that's I think
0: that's fair. And you're right, it's very emotive language that Emery uses and I, and I'm sure despite his limited English it's deliberate. Um and I do think that there is we always knew to an extent that this was coming this kind of D-day for us or in terms of you know, for four or four, five years, as long as he's been at Arsenal, Arsene Wenger has never really compromised on, on Ozil. You know, Arsene Wenger was always determined to build his team around him to the extent that he eschewed the opportunity to sign somebody like Cesc Fabregas because he knew that Ozil was going to be the centrepiece of his team. And now Ozil is faced with a situation where a manager's come in with a very clear tactical idea and the player has to adapt. The player has to accept that and has to find a role within that and that is a change for him and a change in his status and a change in what he's accustomed to in a summer that's been already very volatile for him so there is a lot on the table here and I'm not saying that any of that excuses the possibility of someone refusing to go on the bench I I would never suggest that at all I think if if that happened of course that would be completely unacceptable but this is um, a period of sort of not growing pains, but there's you know this is, might be a bit of a painful process, mightn't it, of adaptation yeah. for for club and player alike, and no one has ever been under any illusions. I don't think that that this may or may not work for us. Or there were always going to be players who who accepted Emery's methods and who embraced them and who fitted in, and players who didn't. And he would always have been someone who maybe there was a bit of suspicion he might fall into that latter category. Now it is yeah. incredibly incredibly early um, but it will be fascinating won't it to see when the Cardiff game rolls around is this illness dispersed is Ozil fit and well again and
1: if so is he in the team do you where do you see him in the team in this team I mean Ken is it unreasonable to expect him to do the job for example that Aaron Ramsey did is that is that getting the best out of Mesut Ozil is that a role that he can fulfil while still being a a creative hub
0: for the team mm. I, I don't know what you made of Aaron Ramsey's role in this game I actually thought that it wasn't quite the role he played against Man City where he was kind of leading from the front all the time it felt like he was more part of a midfield three he was closer to Gendouzi and Shaka in my estimation
1: yeah yeah I think he was Uh but he still made 22 passes in the attacking third. Yeah.
0: I mean, don't get me wrong. He definitely got forward the most of that three and and he was involved in the final third. I mean, that is probably the area where you'd say he's got an opportunity to play. I mean, it's, it's that, or it's where Mkhitaryan's playing, isn't it? So it's, it's the, the kind of number 10 or the sort of number seven, I suppose, the sort of inside forward from the right hand side. Um, that, that that's it for us well, I mean it's one of those two roles in this if assuming we stick with the system as it is which I think we're going to I don't see us shifting from a, a back four or anything like that no I think that they're, they're his they are his opportunity and Emery's already used him in both those roles this season now the problem
1: is he didn't really perform in either albeit against Strong opposition, but did anybody really perform? You know, beyond Gendouzi, no. who had this sort of youthful exuberance in his performances that we all took to because they were honest and hard working and everything else. You you would be hard pressed to find any Arsenal player in the first two games who performed anywhere near as well as they might have. And That's yesterday true. was the kind of game where, if Mesut Ozil had played, you would have expected him to to have an influence because it's a home game against so-called uh, lesser opposition, lesser in the sense that they're not as good as Manchester City or Chelsea.
0: Yeah, I was expecting Ozil to play and I was expecting to see a better Meza Ozil than we had seen, simply because of that, really. I thought he'd get more time on the ball, I thought he'd get more space, I thought he'd be more comfortable and, you know, I don't want to describe him as a flat track bully but he doesn't generally turn up in the big games and it's often these games that he does swing Arsenal's way. And maybe we would have taken more control of this match. Mm. I mean Emery's ultimately wrestling with a battle that I think many of us have seen coming for some time which is how do you how do you fit Aaron Ramsey and Mesut Ozil into the same Arsenal team? Now that may not be a
1: long-term problem. Uh, no, I mean it may not because Ramsey we all know the 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 issue with his contract. You know, it's a difficult situation for the manager. I, I feel for him in this one because he's got one player who won't commit and he's got one player who has committed but who may not necessarily fit into the way that he wants the team to play. So how, how does he... Which basket does, does he put his eggs in? Exactly, exactly. You know, it strikes me maybe that if Ramsey isn't going to stay, that the sensible thing to do is to... to Stick with the player who has at least signed a new contract. Whatever you think about his wages or anything like that, surely that's the the guy to stay with or to build around. But if he doesn't feel like that player is suitable or willing to do the work, and again, we just we don't know if it's a case that Mesut Ozil isn't uh, is refusing to to play the way that that Emery wants him to play. You know. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it is a. It's. It's. I think it's a situation that the coming weeks will tell us much more about than the the headlines after this game.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think it, you know we we have no choice but to take Emery at face value. I yeah. Mean, yeah, I, there was a kind of a post-match piece, wasn't there? I think I saw Sachin Akrani wrote something about it on the Guardian, where he was asked uh, by. The Daily Journalists, if he intended to play Erzo in a different position, mm. and he said maybe. But what's I mean, What's that? I mean, we can't really draw too much. From no, that, can we? It could be. It could be anything. Could be on the bench. Could be out uh, wide. Yeah, it's not going to be left back, is it? So no. Uh, I, yeah, it's it's uh, it is really difficult to know what's going on. Have we heard anything from Erzo? I mean, he's usually quite. Uh quick on social media, mm. isn't he, to come out with something. Has he done anything at
1: all yet? Not as far as I know. Uh no. I let me just check his Twitter. But I, I think I would have seen it if, if uh Yeah, it would if, have made some noise, surely. Yeah. Uh, let's see. No, I mean his last his last uh tweet was on August twenty first. Mm. Wishing Ayd Mubarak, I hope I said that right, to uh, to everybody who was celebrating that. Um, maybe something on his Instagram. I don't know. Look, he he doesn't appear to have said anything. Um. So I, you know, I don't, I don't know what to make of it. We're speculating. We can make educated guesses. We can read between the lines. Um. But yeah, it, it feels like this is a situation that that Emery is going to have to get on top of pretty quickly because otherwise I'm not going to say it's going to fester or anything like that, but it, it just could become something that, that, uh, hangs over this season and hangs over oh, the team definitely. and the squad, you know?
0: Yeah. Because Urzel's a star, you know, and ultimately yeah. that's why Arsenal couldn't afford to lose him because he's a real world star. And, uh, you know, he will be talked about every week. Um, Probably more so even than Aaron Ramsey, uh, despite the kind of precarious nature of Ramsey's contract. So this is not something you want hanging over us. I mean, you know, we had that last season with his contract issue. then. Mm. Um, it'd be a real shame for that to be the case this year. And ultimately, you know, <laughs> what what we want as fans is we want the player we're paying this much money for to be playing regularly. We want to see him playing every week. We don't want to see him missing football for illness or any other reason. And we want to see him playing well. And, you know, I, I have to believe that a player as talented as that, it is possible. It is possible for him to have a really fantastic season for us. But, you know, it's 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 not happening yet. It's but
1: not Look, Look, I, I think the talent is there. I don't think there's any doubting the talent. It's his... It's whether or not he's willing to to play the role that Emery wants him to play, or sees that player in that position playing.
0: Yeah, I think there's a tactical, a strong tactical dimension to this, but I also think there might be, and this is purely speculative, a, a more emotional dimension to it. I mean, if you think of take the case of Andrei Arshavin, another kind of mercurial playmaker, and when Russia didn't make it to the World Cup, how how crushed he was by that. I mean, arguably he was never quite the same player. And if you look at what's happened to Ozil at international level, set aside all the racism stuff, you know, just look at the fact that Germany went out the World Cup like they did and then add all that other sort of social stuff on top of it. You know, there's a, as I said, there's a lot on the table. There's a lot in the mix here. It's not particularly surprising that he hasn't started the season like a house on fire.
1: Yeah. World Cup hangovers are not uncommon. And people, regardless of how much they earn, are only human and are subject to the same uh, issues and doubts and confidences. And, you know, it's fair to say we could get more out of him. It's also fair to say we don't know the full facts of what's going on. And hopefully, uh, over the coming weeks, uh, we'll see Macedoza work his way back into the team and uh, contribute to the team. Because I really think if we are going to get back into the top four... We're going to need him to provide the ammunition for players like Lacazette and like uh, Aubameyang. So Mm. fingers crossed uh, we can get on top of this situation. Right. We're going to leave it there for part one because it's been a bit of an extended part one because of that extra discussion. We'll be back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions you sent to us on Twitter, at Gunner Blog, and at Arse Blog, and also on the Arsblog Blog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arse Blog. Uh, we did cover a huge amount in the first part of the show, and a lot of the questions are about the falling or reported falling out between Unai Emery and Mesut Ozil. So that strips us of uh, about 60% uh, of the questions that we were sent today. Uh, but Selbridge Gunnar, James, he wants to know, he's at Selbridge, Gooner. Should the central midfielder versus Cardiff be Torreira and a n other? I like this a n other guy. He must be a new signing. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I think so. And actually, based on the second half against West Ham, I think it might be time to give Torreira and Shaka a go. Uh, I think you know they are the sort of senior pairing. I think Gendouzi's been excellent. I think he's far surpassed expectations. He's shown himself to be a brilliant option. But I just think there was something in that second half where I thought, "Hang on, Shaka looks like a better player with Torreira alongside him. Torreira's better at covering for the back four than Chaka is. I think that might be the way to go. So that would probably be my pick against Cardiff. How about you?
1: Yeah, I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him start. Uh, I think you made a point last week, didn't you, about the. The the way that Xhaka was introduced when he arrived, mm. um, he, he was slowly introduced to the team. And Torreira, I think we, in our anxiousness to see this shiny new signing, our biggest signing of the summer in terms of the financial outlay, in terms of uh, seeing him on the pitch, we all want to see that. And we're all hoping that he can bring qualities to midfield that we've been missing. But as well as that, let's remember that he came back late from the World Cup. You know, he did uh, arrive back uh, without a preseason. So a lot of what's going on with him over the last couple of weeks has been his preseason, essentially. And that's probably why he's not been starting games. This state-of-the-art medical situation setup that we have right now. Right with all the information that's available to the the manager, I know he's not the manager, but we keep calling him the manager, and that's you know people understand that. I'm sure it's just force of habit based on many years. But Unai Emery has all this information available to him. The physical uh, readiness of a player is he ready to do ninety minutes? Would he be better served coming on for for half an hour, forty five minutes, whatever it might be? You know that's informing his team selections. I wouldn't be surprised based on the fact that it was Genduzi who made way. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Torreira start uh, at Cardiff. And I'm interested to see how he will work with Xhaka because uh, it's early days and we don't really know. But just looking at the two players, they do feel complementary. Like he mm. could offset some of Xhaka's weaknesses. And Xhaka's strengths in terms of the way he distributes the ball are a key part of the way that we play. So if he can cover for Xhaka's defensive lapses or weaknesses, then maybe the, the two of them will work well together. Yeah,
0: I think so. I think uh, we've waited a long time to see it. I mean, I th- I do think with Torreira, we are a bit hasty sometimes. I mean, even in his limited cameos that he's had, there have been moments where he's dwelt on the ball too long. He's been caught in possession. He's looked a bit like he's playing at Serie A tempo in the Premier League. And I think, you know, that does take time to adjust. And, yeah. you know, there's no ne- no hurry necessarily. But after, you know, a few weeks bedding in and improving his language skills and getting up to speed with his fitness, I think... I think Cardiff could be the time when he's ready for a start. And I think, yeah, I'd be really excited to see that.
1: All right. Your request? Um,
0: This question is from SA, who's at Guna SA 1981. But loads of people have asked it over the past couple of weeks, so I thought I'd have to eventually pose it on the podcast. And SA says, uh, he phrases it thus, given his attacking prowess and attacking (laughs) beginnings at youth level, should Bellerin be moved forward into a winger role permanently?
1: Uh, yeah, we've had a load of questions about this today. Uh, Stewart, uh, who's at Stuart Wilder, says, Do you believe Bellerin would make a good right winger? He appears to have a higher ceiling as an attacker than a defender. And also we have one from Johnny from the North Bank Lower, who's at North Bank underscore Lower. He says, What do you think of the argument for Bellerin to be pushed into a right midfield, right wing position like Bale, uh, push forward, Delph, Young, etc., etc." I can see why that's attractive to people. I can mm. see why people see that as a as a possibility because he does have defensive problems. He really does. But I think a lot of those problems have stemmed from the fact that he has been asked to do an awful lot of work on his own without a great deal of support. That has changed a bit. This season, uh, both from an attacking point of view and from a defensive point of view. I can't tell you how many times over the last two years I saw Hector Bellerin pick the ball up on the right-hand side and look for someone to combine with and find nobody and then go back inside. Whether it was... Theo Walcott was playing there. Aaron Ramsey playing on the right-hand side. Mesut Ozil playing on the right-hand side. You had three players who liked to drift infield. And nobody really who stayed out there and worked with him. And we're seeing that a bit with Mkhitaryan now. The Mkhitaryan is a bit more uh, wedded to that right-hand side in terms of giving Bellerin options, both Mm. to combine with offensively and to provide cover defensively. I think it's too early to change his position. Because I I really feel that if we can sort out the defensive part of his game, if we can improve him as a defender, both in terms of his own decision-making and his own defensive uh, performances, as well as providing him with cover that he he absolutely needs when you ask your fullback to play that far forward, he is going to need help and he's going to need cover from his teammates. So times when he looks like he's out of position isn't necessarily entirely his fault because he's made a bombing run forward and he's got a cross in and maybe they've countered quickly and we don't have anybody covering out there. And people go, where's the right back? Well, the right back is the guy who set up two goals on Saturday doing doing that thing that he's been caught out doing now because he's not going to be successful every single time. So it is important to get him the cover. I just feel that if we can sort out the defensive side of his game, there's a really, really good player there, a really good fullback. And really good fullbacks are hard to come by. So I would be inclined to work on him from a defensive point of view rather than change his position now, even if I can see why that is an attractive idea for people.
0: I feel the same about that. And I also feel that when he's getting in behind and when he is looking a threat in the final third, that's because he's running from deeper positions a lot of the time. You know, that's to his advantage. He's got that speed on the overlap. Uh, And, you know, I I think if you play someone in the final third as a winger, what they're required to do is, is slightly different. They have to receive the ball in tighter spaces. It's about close control. It's about dribbling, less so than running off the ball, which I think is Bellerin's strength. So... I'd keep him as a right back. I think he's got the potential to be a brilliant attacking right back. And I agree. When you, when you look at the pitch and you go, where's the right back? I think we need to be thinking, well, where's the right midfielder? Where's the holding midfielder? Where yeah. is the player covering for the right back? When you're asking him to bomb on, you have to consolidate when they are out of position. You have to make up for their absence as a team. And we are not doing that. And that's why we suffered against West Ham.
1: Fair enough. Okay, here is a question from... Bum, bum, bum It is Francis Zhu, who's at Francis underscore Zhu, who says, What do you think our approach for the Europa League would be? Shall we use the same first team to play the group stages to improve their execution of Unai Emery's philosophy, or shall we use a second team just as we did last season?
0: Oh, that's quite a good question. I mean, you know, they're, if we're saying they need games to get... This kind of coordination in place, then they'll have an opportunity to do that in the Europa League. I don't see that happening. I think, I think it will be a kind of second string team, and I think ultimately that is the right decision. You know, we're hoping we're going to play sixty games this season, yeah. um, and I think we have to look forward and, and think about that. So, I, I think as well that has a real benefit to Emery, even if he's not playing his first eleven, because there are probably members of this squad he doesn't know that much about yet. Mm. You know, how much how much football has he seen Rob Holding play? How much football has he seen Danny Welbeck play? You know, at close quarters. So this gives him an opportunity to really discover more about his squad and who might be beneficial to him in the first team. So I think it'll be uh, a, a rotated side, heavily rotated side. What about you?
1: I think that's probably true, yeah. Because as well as that, number one, you need to be able to bring in players who know what to do when we're playing Premier League games. You also want to foster a competitive environment. So you want these players to be able to play in the in the Europa League and impress. And for that, or for their performances to to give them a chance to play in the Premier League as well. So, you know, it's a, it's a way of keeping his squad fresh, but it's also a way of ensuring that the players who aren't playing know the way that he wants them to play. Like He's got to be able to bring in players and for them to understand what their roles are in the team. Mm-hmm. So match practice will help him do that. And if somebody shines in the Europa League and is pushing for a place in the Premier League, then all well and good. It, it strikes me that he's a manager who will be in more open to to doing that than Arsene Wenger was last year. Because there seemed to be just a very uh, a dividing line really between the Europa League side and the Premier League side. Uh, particularly in the the first uh, group stages and then even in the even in the first uh, couple of knockout rounds, you know when we started to take things a bit more seriously after that but but regardless of how anyone was doing in the Europa League, they weren't really uh, pushing for a place in the Premier League side. I think it was it was all a bit stale whereas if players come in and do well and are given a chance based on the way that they're playing. This sort of um, this idea that your performances and your form is what counts rather than your your stature then then that's a positive thing yeah
0: he 's come in with no established hierarchy, no favorites really yeah that 's all up for grabs, and I think that should make it for uh, for an interesting Europa League group stage because players are playing. Pleasure playing for their future, really. I mean, you think of a guy like Mohamed Elneny. I mean, he, yeah, he really needs to make an impression in those games too, if mm. he's going to have any, any part in the squad moving forward. So yeah. there's a lot at stake. Uh, there's a lot at stake for those guys.
1: Just to um, let people know, the Europa League draw takes place on Friday. So we'll find out who we will play um, on Friday, I think around midday. So we'll know by half four there, thereabouts when the draw is finished.
0: OK, because the qualifying's still going on, isn't it? I mean, Burnley is think- still, I think they're halfway through
1: there their ties they? Mm. yeah Burnley um, um uh yeah Burnley have got I think a game on Thursday so they'll that's right yeah so that's when we'll
0: know who's in the various pots yeah um this question is from Johnny Bowden or Bowden not sure which it is who's at Johnny underscore B underscore AFC Johnny says are you surprised at Socrates's start he's been very solid for me uh being thrown next to a calamitous centre back. And I was also <laughs> amazed that he's the third fastest player at the club. Are we overlooking his start because of Mustafi and a new setup leaving him exposed? What have you made of Socrates so far? It's um, difficult for me to make an assessment. To, I know that I'm asking you the question, but I, I have found it very hard to assess his performances partly because the back line is so ragged it's difficult to look at the individuals within it and sort of Mm. figure them
1: out you know yeah I'm pretty much the same I can't make any real judgment or assessment of him as a player on the three games that we've seen so far particularly as we have more or less decided haven't we to chuck the the first two games out of the out of the window when it comes to making any judgments on the team. um, I I feel I really have to see more of him. I, I think there are some things to like. He's aggressive. He likes the physical side of the game. I liked, as I spoke earlier on, I liked the the cynicism that he showed when he, he picked up that yellow card. I liked the fact that he spoke openly about it and encouraged his teammates to do a bit more of that. There was one moment, actually, probably not long before. Ah, you know what it could have been? It could have been when the chance came to Lucas Perez and West Ham worked the ball out from the back, and Aaron Ramsey actually tried to pull the guy, tried to grab his shirt, and missed. So I think Ramsey was, was trying to do something like that as well, but didn't quite pull it off. Right. You know, I, I think we can look at those kind of things as positives and, and things maybe that this team has been missing. Be a bit more cynical. Be a bit more cunty. We're not out there to win friends and make friends. I think we all want the game played in the right spirit, et cetera, et cetera, as much as possible. But ask me a hundred times if I want my center half to absolutely cream a guy out of it on the halfway line or watch that guy go through and score a goal or set up a goal. A hundred times I will tell you, take the yellow card on the halfway line. And when I say cream him out of it, I don't mean like uh, injure him. I just mean foul him. Take the ball, take the man, take whatever you have to take to stop the chance. That's what I mean. So I I can see that there's some of that in him. And if he can pass that on to some of our other defenders, then all well and good. I'm I'm all for that. A couple of times I've been a little bit worried about him positionally. Both him and Mustafi, I think, have this tendency to try and win the ball high up the pitch and when you do that you've got to make sure you don't leave space in behind and i'm not sure they're on the same wavelength there there was a moment in the game as well where he went to make a clearance with his with the wrong foot yes that was a little bit of a worry just because it's i, I don't know you don't see really top class defenders It's basic do that isn't it? yeah you know basic stuff so uh, those are a little bit of a, a worry um but yeah, let's see. Let's just wait and see. Uh, we've, we've only had three games. We've got to wait and see how he performs over a longer period before we can make a, a real informed assessment of who he is as a player and how he fits in, into the team. Yeah, I, I was
0: watching Mustafi yesterday next to him and he, he kind of had some okay moments, Mustafi. You know, he made some decent uh, sort of blocks and clearances and tackles. It struck me that he's a good kind of emergency defender. The problem is that he's often the cause of the emergency. Uh, and mm. I, I do wonder what it must be like for so- Socrates to be playing alongside him. Uh, they basically don't look like a partnership at this point Um and I know that's not particularly surprising because they haven't had a lot of time together. But that's what they need to be, particularly if we are going to play this high line. They need to be absolutely on the same wavelength, mm. and that's that's just not the case yet. Um, so it's 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 difficult to judge at this early stage. He's not done anything disastrously wrong yet, Socrates. But nor has he come in and sort of steadied the
1: ship, has he? No. You know what? It was interesting. I saw that the Arsenal Twitter account sent out a tweet. Um, with some Socrates stats on it, defensive mm. stats. And it was like, uh, let me just get them up here. Uh, two interceptions, three clearances, blah, blah, whatever it was, five ball recoveries. And and that's fair enough. But I was looking at the defensive stats uh, over the weekend when I was doing player ratings and, and that kind of stuff. And Mustafi... Um, didn't make any interceptions, one block, but made fourteen clearances, ten headed clearances, yeah. won two or three of his two out of three of his aerial jewels, and and on the ball, Mustafi was um, very secure, ninety point four percent. But there were two moments. There was one where. Uh, Arnautovic was offside. Do you remember the chance where he went through in the first half and he was offside and Mustafi was drawn to the ball and I'm not sure he really had any choice but to try and, and go for the ball Um But that space, again, left behind, that's an issue for the defensive partnership, you know? We shouldn't really be exposed that quickly. There was another one for the Antonio shot where he went into midfield. He didn't fully commit to winning the ball high up the pitch. He kind of stepped off whoever the, the midfielder was and they played a pass in behind Bellerin for Antonio to have the shot. So I think for them it's about trying to curb this natural instinct of getting really high up the pitch and really tight to the man to try and win the ball because if you win it, it's great. If you don't, you're you're left on your arse or you're left on the turn it's very difficult to get back Uh, the other point was about Socrates being the third fastest player at the club I'm not necessarily sure that's the case is it it was a sprint test and we don't really know the context of that sprint test I would be surprised if Socrates was the third fastest player at the club but maybe he's just not quite as slow as people expected
0: well, as well, I think it's measuring their max speed. And I think, you know, in football, acceleration is often the key. It's, it's how quickly you can get to that speed. It's what you, how quick you are over 10 yards rather than 40 or 100, you know. Mm. Um, but just on the defence, I mean, there are a couple of moments, you know, the thing they do on the TV replay where they show if a player was onside or offside. So at yeah. the point the pass is made, they freeze frame. Mm. And it just felt like in the game against West Ham, there were several instances where when they did the freeze frame, the four defenders were in were staggered in different positions. You know, there was no coherence of line. Yeah, and that that's that's the big worry for me. It's like if they're going to do something, they at least have to do it as a unit. Yeah, uh, so. If Steve Bould, you know, if he, if, he ever, if he ever fancies remembering all that stuff that he learned in the 80s, it'd be great for him to kind of pass that on at this
1: point. Yeah, I know. I know. I think we all hark back to that, that solid defensive uh, foursome that we had and the, the, the synchronicity with which they worked. I just wonder if that's not possible. These days, in terms of the way you can't tie them together with rope like George Graham used to do, no, you can't
0: make them stay as a unit. Yeah, it's difficult when they're earning that much money.
1: No, true. Although, I did see again going back to these uh, videos that they they played. Did you see the video where they all have to link arms and they're trying to win the ball? And I guess it's to coordinate the press to get them Uh, to. Yeah, I did see that. So, yeah, yeah, I'm just not sure that the. The, the personnel are there to play the way that George Graham's back four played, nor is Unai Emery going to dedicate that much coaching time to the back four the same way that George did. And look, it was different times. We're talking about 25 years ago, basically, as well. So yeah. it's worth bearing that in mind as well. Stephen Shale, who's Van Popeye, wants to know, with the easier run of games coming up, should we now be giving Leno a run out?
0: I don't think so. I think Pedacek has pretty much done everything you could have asked of him, really. I mean, I know there's a lot of talk about his uh, short passing against Manchester City. I think it's telling that there hasn't really been any discussion of that in the game since Um, Mm. it's passed almost without comment I think that's partly because he's going a little bit longer and he's you know when he's played one short pass when it comes back to him he's then looking for a a longer pass having drawn the opposition out which is exactly what Emery's intention is I think and I think in terms of the saves he's made he's made plenty of saves already this season we talked about how many shots we've faced I think he has really stood up to the challenge of Leno's arrival well and I think he he deserves to keep his place on that basis Mm. Yeah. Any 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 uh, any difference from your perspective, or
1: no? I mean, I think if Emery is choosing Jack as his number one goalkeeper at the moment, he hasn't done anything to lose his place. So I think Leno is going to be the Europa League goalkeeper, the cup goalkeeper, and that will be his chance to make a mark. So mm. uh, you know, we we do have to bear in mind that Emery is seeing these guys on the training ground day in, day out. Uh, He's brought in his own goalkeeping coach, Emery as well. So the feedback he'll be getting from his goalkeeping coach as to who's more ready or who's better or who's the number one in terms of what they're doing on the training ground or how confident you'd feel with them in the team, at the moment it's check. And I don't see why if Leno isn't tearing it up on the training ground, if he's not really, really pushing, why there'd be any change at this moment in time.
0: Yeah, inclined to agree there. Uh, This is a question which is uh, not specifically about the game yesterday. Um, But Joe, who's at JoeArsenal underscore, Mm -hmm. says in Torreira's interview in the matchday programme on Saturday, he said his first contact with Arsenal was a phone call from Unai Emery. Can we read into this that Unai was much more involved in our summer transfers than we might
1: previously have thought? That's very interesting. I didn't. I didn't realize that. Um, you would imagine, in terms of, in terms of the player uh, identification, etc., then it would have been Sven, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, but I, I, I it also so. makes sense that a Spanish-speaking manager or a Spanish-speaking person connected with the club would make contact with him rather than a German or Ivan Gazidis.
0: Yeah, my suspicion is that even if the targets are identified by Sven, uh, it's logical, isn't it, to have the the outreach and the the contact from the club, leaving aside all the agents and all the business side of it, but about the actual technical aspect, technical dimension of playing to come from the coach because ultimately that's who the player's going to be working with on a daily basis Um I mean it was interesting I thought you know there's been a lot of talk about Gendouzi and because he played in France some people wondering if he had been uh, you know an Emery signing rather than a Mislintat signing but I think there were stories this week there was stuff in the press saying that uh, you know Miss Lintat had already identified Genduzzi before Emery's arrival at Arsenal, and he was, you know, that deal was kind of already on the cards potentially. Mm. I do think that the vast majority of our business has been done by the recruitment team, probably with Emery's sign off, but I think it's encouraging that. Emery is involved enough that he at least was the guy to make that phone call. You know what I mean? I don't think it makes Torreira an Emery signing, but yeah. it shows that he's at least part of the process.
1: Yeah, my feeling is that the there has to be a little bit more harmonisation or a little bit more togetherness in, in the transfer dealings because I think Emery was appointed so late and at least three of those targets were more or less done before, uh, were like... We were expecting Socrates. we were expecting Leno, and we were expecting uh, Licksteiner. Well, the mm. Licksteiner story came out of nowhere, but it, it was, I think it could have been in the week that Emery was appointed.
0: Yes, around I think around Emery's that time, first day, first day at London Colney was also the day of Licksteiner's medical, something like
1: that. Yeah, so I don't feel like he had any imp- input whatsoever into Socrates Leno, and Licksteiner. Torreira, he might have uh, had some input into if they said, look, we want to sign a defensive midfield player. Here's this Uruguayan from Sampdoria. Will that fit your bill? Uh, You know, I'm not sure whether he would have the ability. We don't know. Um, I'm not sure if he would have the ability to veto deals and say, no, I don't want this player. I want somebody else. Mm. Um, Maybe that's what happened with the... The, the kid from PSG. Remember we were going to sign that kid, Yassi Nadley? Yeah. And then it turns out, well, we couldn't convince him to come to Arsenal, he's going to stay at PSG. But maybe it was because Mislintat said, no, we're going to sign uh, Gendouzi. He's the the better prospect, more advanced perhaps, maybe a couple of years older and more ready for the first team. So I just think that when it comes to the transfer business, in January, assuming that we do some, that Emery has got six months of working at Arsenal under his belt. He knows the players. He knows what they're capable of. He knows what he wants to do, and he knows who can do it and who can't do it. Or he knows at least what areas of the team he needs different players in. And I think that's where we'll see the the two sides work more closely together. I hope we do anyway, because it's really important.
0: And I think we might do business in January. I mean, ultimately, this is a squad in a process of evolution. And I think every transfer window we get is an opportunity to get it closer to Emery's ideal. So Mm. I I think I'd be quite surprised if we don't see some some ins and outs in January.
1: Uh, Speaking of transfer business, Scott, who's at Scotty S18, who says, do you think we'll sell either Ozil or Ramsey before the 31st? because the transfer window is still open uh, across Europe. Uh, Before Saturday, I had a feeling they may have considered this an option for Ramsey due to the contract situation and the emergence of Gendouzi.
0: I don't think we will, no. I don't think we'll sell a player abroad between now and the 31st. Um, I wouldn't, as I say, rule out anything in January. We saw Arsenal sell Alexis Sanchez last January in order to recoup some money. And I do think will be active in January so maybe then but I don't see anything in the next few days I think if if anybody goes and maybe it would be someone like an an Nenny, maybe just because he's, he's barely featured this season but yeah it, with the Europa League there uh, even that might be considered a risk
1: mm. yeah I don't see us selling anyone maybe that we might get a loan or two for for younger players going out to the championship and below but I can't see us yeah I can't Surely see someone something. like uh, a Joe Willock, say, who
0: has been pushed down the pecking order by Gendouzi. I mean, it would make sense for him to go out. Yeah, um, But not too many. I mean, I think Nelson and Katia, they'll stay with the first-team squad. Um, Maitland-Niles is obviously injured, so he won't be going anywhere. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't foresee too much activity between now and the, the European transfer deadline, as it were. Mm. Have you got another one? I actually don't. I, I've sort of I had some, but we, we sort of covered them off. They were either about Ozil or, or Lacazette or... I mean, what about this one? This is from Magnus Holmberg, who says, three games and no goals for over so far. When should we be worried that it should start to play on his mind?
1: Six not games. Yet. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet. We had a, a question here. Uh, this was from Cy Gunner who says, was a foul on Aubameyang in the first half not a red card? studs on the shin, a leg breaker. He was not the same player after that. Didn't hear any mention of it on Sky or Match of the Day, which is a good point because he was down. He got some serious treatment on the knee. I'm not sure it was a red card. I think it was definitely a yellow. The guy got booked for it all right. I think he just kind of flicked his foot and caught him with studs on. It looked to me just below the knee which will be really really painful and maybe yeah, it did have an strange. impact on on him and maybe that's why he came off because he he did have a kick but yeah look give him give him a few more games he's got an incredible goal scoring record and uh, you know the goals will come for him for sure no question
0: yeah I mean I, I do th- I've always said I thought he's going to score a lot of goals this season that hasn't changed I do just have this hunch about maybe getting another striker in there alongside him, being what he he needs to really unlock his potential. But we shall see.
1: Okay, I've got a very quick final one from Sandeep Nag on Facebook, who says, do you think Unai Emery should continue speaking English uh, in the press conferences? It's so annoying listening to a press conference as he's unable to convey his message properly.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one, that, isn't it? Because, you know, it's sort of very admirable that he's speaking in English. I, I think, to be honest, it probably suits him a little bit in the... He doesn't have to go into huge detail. He can afford to be a little bit vague, which I think most managers probably revel in. Um, I think it's probably for the best. I think we just have to wait until his English catches up with his tactical brain until we can uh, appreciate it properly. I think that's ultimately better than sitting back and having a translator do it, you
1: know, and not getting that experience. He does have a translator there with him if he doesn't understand something because sure. there was an issue with the the Ozil uh, situation where he, he asked the translator uh, for for what was the way to say that, that Ozil was sick, that he was congested or whatever it was. So he does have that. But I think we've got to give the guy time. I've You know, I've watched the press conferences. When you're used to 22 years of Arsene Wenger talking very eloquently about football, about life, about politics, about whatever – It is a little more difficult to listen to a man like Unai Emery who doesn't have the same command of the language yet. But I think we have to give him huge credit from day one for speaking English and trying to speak English Uh, when he's uh, clearly in the very early stages of, of learning the language and mastering the language. The more he speaks, the better he'll become at it. Mm-hmm. And to, to have the, the safety net option of just speaking in Spanish and then having a translator translate things, I think that would be more annoying. You know, I know yeah. other managers did it, didn't they? Pochettino didn't speak English for mm-hmm. ages. Uh, you know, some people won't speak publicly until they feel properly comfortable in doing so. Emery is, like his football team, learning on the job. And he's speaking uh, to the best of his ability. And I think if you put yourself in that situation, you know, go to a new country tomorrow with a new job, a big high-profile job where you don't really know the language, yet you're willing to, to sit there and perhaps embarrass yourself and say the wrong thing or use the wrong word or, or just all of a sudden not be able to think of any way to express what you're trying to say, that's, that's really, really tough. And I don't think it's something we should criticize him for. I think it's something he needs to be commended for. Uh, And I I think obviously over time his English will improve and he'll become um, easier to listen to is the wrong way of putting it, but he'll be able to express himself more fully. And I think we'll appreciate that because he's tried so hard in in these opening months.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree with that more. I don't think he's ever going to be a philosopher. I don't think he's ever going to no. be Arsene Wenger. But I think he's got, probably got a lot that's very interesting to say about the tactical side of the game. Yeah, And it will be fascinating to hear you know that level of detail when, when his command of lang- the language allows it.
1: All right. Well, look, that's that. We've got through another podcast. If you want to hear myself and James answer over 100 questions about football and films and music and everything else... Head on over to the uh, Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash arseblog. You can sign up there for five uh, euros a month and you get access to all our extra content. There's a really great interview James did with the journalist Jonathan Friedland and the My Arse section as well, which is uh, well worth a listen. Uh, Lots of other good content in there as well. Five euros a month, patreon.com forward slash arsblog As ever, though, thank you for listening. We'll be back on Friday with a look ahead to the game against Cardiff and more. So until then, take it easy. Bye-bye.